over half our employees became millionaires. We had like, my assistant bought a house. You know I mean? People made money and that's that crazy. Was cool. What is going on, futurists? We're tearing out the gate this Monday and it is your host, Michael Zakan, founder and creator of Our Future. Who are we? Well, we're the go-to business media brand for the next generation of leaders, innovators, movers and shakers. And here I am for episode 101. We're already trailblazing past the triple digits and it feels really, really good to keep this train going. Thank you to all the amazing support I have received for crossing the number 100 mark from all of you guys who've reached out. And to all of you who listened to the last interview that was on this podcast, it was me. Thanks for giving me that time of day to share my vision for the brand. I'm so appreciative of the fact that you listen and I can't wait to take this brand in new directions. I'm currently in the process of conducting a ton of audience feedback for our future to figure out how I can make this podcast the best thing it can possibly be for you. So if you'd like to have a conversation with me to help me make this show better, you can click the link in the description of this episode that says book a time to chat with Michael. We will talk all things business, share some laughs, get to know each other, have a killer time. I'm happy to help you in any way I can. Maybe we could dream up the next billion dollar business. Shout out to Natish Sharma and Peter Aldapa for sharing your fantastic insights and knowledge with me yesterday. I can't wait for our next conversation. Today, I'm joined by legendary serial entrepreneur and philanthropist, Mr. Paul English. Paul has literally started more companies than he has fingers, and he's known best for co-founding travel site Kayak, which was sold for $1.8 billion in 2012. He's also the founder of Lola.com, GetHuman.com, Summit's Haiti Education, the Boster Winter Walk for Homelessness, and now he's launching what he aims to be the TikTok for podcasts. It's called Moonbeam Podcast Player. Seriously, Moonbeam. Can't wait for you guys to hear all about his exciting ideas and amazing advice. What's funny, Paul, is I was actually emailing back and forth with your co-founder of Kayak, Steve. Steve Hafner, a couple of days ago. A, a lot of the early value of the internet came from aggregation. Can you just tell me back in 2004 where your headspace was and how you arrived at the idea to aggregate travel services? Yeah, sure. I had created a couple of companies before Kayak. Um, I had an e-commerce company, which I sold to Intuit and then served as VP technology for them for a while. And then I had a security software company that I created with my brother, Ed English, went up selling that to Trend Micro. But um, let me see. So for Kayak, the original idea for Kayak came from Steve, who was my co-founder, and he was a CEO. He was at Orbitz at the time, leaving Orbitz. And he had this insight that... 70% of the people who use Orbitz would then, once they found the flight they wanted, they'd leave Orbitz, open a new tab in the browser, go directly to united.com and buy the flight there. So they were losing all this traffic. And so Steve basically said, what if we were to create a new company where the way we get paid is we don't sell anything ourselves, but we'll show you that United flight. When you click the United link and go to United, United will pay us 25 cents or 50 cents or whatever mm -hmm. to send the lead across. The price, you know, when it started at free and went up over time as we got more and more traffic. And he pitched me the idea. I loved it. I liked him a lot. He and I clicked immediately. We had lunch in Harvard Square, had a few drinks together. And um, fantastic. Really became sort of fast and uh, just great friends to the business. That, that's awesome. I'm sure there are a lot of, you know, companies trying to scramble together uh, travel listings, flights, et cetera. What do you think made Kayak? rise above the clutter in those early days of the, the consumer internet? 
Yeah, a couple of things. So from a design standpoint, um, so Steve was a CEO and I was a CTO. So he was in charge of marketing and business development. And I was in charge of product. And what we tried to do on the product side was to build a brand that was all about simplicity and speed. So my uh, head designer, his name is Lincoln Jackson, incredibly gifted, prolific designer. His business card, the title I gave him is Bitfucker because he and I spent so much time fighting over pixels. Like that looks like 10 pixels. That needs to be nine pixels. That needs to align with this thing that's three rows up or whatever. Just always obsessed with typography and colors and layout. And I found Expedia to be like epileptic seizure inducing. There was so much stuff <laughs> on the page, just like animations everywhere and okay. uh, graphic ads everywhere. And so I wanted to create the opposite of that. I wanted something just incredibly clean and simple. And then we had a need for speed. We wanted every page to be as quick as we could. My funny story, I've, actually this was with Orbitz, was early days. Orbitz was a business partner of ours that we allowed people to buy flights, hotels, on the airline or hotel website, or they could buy it through Orbitz, which is a direct link in Kayak. And at one point I had a meeting with Orbitz CTO and he was asking about speed because our site was known for that. I mean, here's the magic. Click on the first 10 Orbitz results on Kayak, then click on the first 10 results on Orbitz and see which ones have errors. Because a lot of times in travel, because you're dealing with GDS technology that's decades old, there's not a way to lock something at the time of search. So about 10% of the time you go to buy something, Expedia orbits Kayak elsewhere. And the final page is, oh, that fare has just sold out. It's not the company screwing around with you when you get those messages. It's literally, it's sitting a technology that can't lock a fare at the time it does search because it's doing so many searches and it just doesn't, doesn't scale for it. And we actually had a lower error rate than orbits on their own fare. And the reason is we built a pretty good machine learning system that predicted what results Orbitz would give us and predicted which ones would be bogus and we threw them out. So I guess I would say from a design wow. standpoint, we cared about brand. We, I, I really care about the intersection between brand and design and customer service actually, which is another obsession of mine. <laughs> yeah. so we cared about brand and look and white space and we cared about speed. Mm -hmm. Well, it sounds like you had an obsession with the customer. And by virtue of having an obsession with the customer, you're able to do the backend deals with United and the flight companies uh, because you had all the users. It was a better experience and that's why they existed on your platform. So I, I guess the next thing I would get at is do, do internet aggregators, did you ever run into copyright issues taking listings from around the internet, essentially scraping the web for listings, we did. products, services? And how have these companies managed to, to kind of get out of the, the, the crossfire on that? We went through three phases. Um, phase one is we just did it. We didn't ask anyone permission. We scraped stuff all over the place. And people didn't really notice. We were able to get an early user base and get feedback from users. I mean, startups thrive on how quickly you can incorporate feedback from users. Ideally, it's multiple times a day. You're changing the code base based on how people are using it or not. And we got some early users. We were able to keep refining refining it. Phase two was the airline started noticing because our traffic started growing so fast that we literally took JetBlue's servers down one day because we hit them so hard based on how many people were searching flights for us on JetBlue routes. And then they call us and say, you're not allowed to search our site anymore. You're like literally taking our sites down because the airlines basically had pretty shitty websites back then. I'm sure they did. Um, yeah. And, um, and then they said, you're, you can't show our content. We had to negotiate and figure out what the economics were. And that was very painful, particularly with the largest airlines. But we made our way through it. But our traffic kept growing all through this. 
And phase three of the relationship was we had so much traffic, the airlines couldn't afford to shut us off because we were suddenly like 5% of all their tickets were going through kayak or 10% of all their tickets. If they shut us down, there was just, it was a huge loss for them. So then we we're able to negotiate the economics kind of phase three. And we were lucky that we grew rapidly through that. So we moved from phase one to phase three in under a year. Um, but yeah, it was dicey for a little bit during phase two when airlines noticed us, we were annoying to them. We weren't giving them enough revenue, but they were, wanted to shut us down. But luckily our traffic kept growing. For sure. So key term in there, economics. Yeah. In, in an economics class, one of the things you, you read about and learn about is price discrimination on the end of airlines. They have it down to a science, how to sell those seats at the highest profit. Uh, it's really how they're, they're able to run these businesses, which are so capital intensive and so expensive and so darn difficult to manage. Did you guys end up incorporating any of that, those elements, whether it was carrying over from the airlines themselves? Uh, how, did, how did you guys find ways to uh, maximize your surplus as a company? Yeah. We never built our own price engine because the goal at Kayak was two things. One, make sure no one could find a flight or a hotel or rent a car on another website that they can't find on Kayak. So are we had a session with like every single flight, every single hotel has to be on Kayak. The second obsession was we would get the lowest price. There's no way you could, no one can undercut kayak because we would source it from everywhere and we would find the lowest price and present it. So because of that, we, we never added a penny to a flight. Even if we anticipated this is a business user, they don't really care about the price. We knew they would pay more because they just needed that flight. Because we are, like MO was, every single flight, lowest price you could find on the internet. And because of that, we never built a pricing engine. Pricing for us was more like, looking at all the sites, figuring out clever ways to search them because some of the sites can't handle high volume search. You have to be very clever about the way in which you search them to make sure you're surfacing the lowest prices you can. What was it like to see these airlines kind of do their own thing and then suddenly they're asking you, can we get on kayak? Can we work with you better? Can we optimize the, the transfer of information? When did, well, how'd you feel when that started to happen? It was pretty amazing. I mean, um, on Kayak, the advantage was we knew the dates, we knew the history of the travel, we knew if they were business or leisure, we knew if they wanted first class, we knew all their preferences. So the time we surfaced you that JetBlue fare, JetBlue was very happy to pay for that customer because the customer was looking for something that JetBlue had. Mm-hmm. So we had a much higher conversion rate than Google and much more cost effective. And as soon as we proved that and we had the traffic, all the airlines and hotels wanted to be on Kayak. All right. You had the traffic. And I like how you've described various parts of this business. You guys had obsessions. I love when businesses talk about how they're just so laser focused on a certain element. And that's really the, the key value drivers have been fueled by obsession by, by this extreme focus. Uh, so when Kayak was sold for $1.8 billion, I mean, how'd you feel, Paul? I mean, you must have been wealthier than you've ever been in your entire life. And as in the entrepreneurship uh, you know, media world, you always hear these stories of these massive acquisitions. I mean, what was it like? Did it change any, any way you saw yourself or was it just like, yeah, you don't really think about it? I had a couple of good hits before Kayak. So I already had more money than I would ever need. And, but Kayak was ridiculous in terms of how much money I made. Um, <laughs> it was intimidating because I grew up with no money. And so suddenly I have all this money. Um, and so I basically started this quest of giving away money and being like trying to be really smart about it, learning more and more every year, how to get better and better, giving away money. But the cool thing for me was, I think we had 200 employees at the time of the IPO. We had 300 million in revenue 
and over half our employees became millionaires. We had like my assistant bought a house, you know, I mean, people made money and that's that crazy. You know, we're, us young people, we think, oh, we're going to get that big, you know, that big startup, you know, sale or IPO. And then we're going to go and buy a sports car. What did you do when you first got your first hit of money? That's an excellent question. Um, I bought my dad the first new car of his life and nice. I took my parents to Bermuda. And Beautiful. That's all I can remember. That's really nice. Giving back to, to the family. Can you, can you just look back and give your big piece of career advice for building businesses to young professionals who are listening to this podcast? Yeah, the most important decision that your listeners will make as they think about their own careers, either joining startups or ultimately someday starting their own if they want to do that. And there's pros and cons of starting your own company. Like there's a lot of stress and pressure and there's, there's, some, there's some painful things about running your own company. But maybe being a co-founder, the most important decision you'll make is who are those first few people you're going to work with? So like as a CEO, who, if you're going to build a tech company, you need a CTO. Who is that CTO? Do they have everything you need as an equal partner in the business? And then if you have two of two co-founders like Steve and I had, it's who are the first five employees we have? And you want to make sure those first five employees kind of have the mojo that they work really well together. But you also want to make sure that, um, you know, that they can crank stuff out, that they're fast. And your first five employees also become recruiters for you. You need to hire people that are storytellers. And probably the best skill of an entrepreneur, of any entrepreneur, is that precisely of storytelling. Because by telling your story, your vision of what's going to happen in the industry and what your role in that is going to be, that storytelling is what finds your co-founder, convinces them to quit their job, go work for you, or usually to reduce salary from the company working before. It allows you to raise money, allows you to hire a team, allows you to convince reporters to write about you, allows you to do business development, and allows you to get your first customers to, to send you a check. So I think storytelling is a craft that people should hone, practice, 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 and get feedback. These are great pieces of advice. So, well, let me talk really quickly about the company I created right after Kayak. I started a company called Lola.com and we started out like Kayak, but just for business, where our customer was the CFO of a company who had 50 sales reps traveling. It was a bit of a nightmare that no one knew who was traveling where and how much they were spending. Anything that employees spend money on, Lola helps do that in a way that's better managed and easy to use. Everybody's got their, their card connected yeah, right up buy, to the company. They can buy travel. They can buy supplies at Amazon. Uh, all managed through our software. They can take clients out to restaurants. They can buy AdWords products. Anything the employee spends. Genius. Managed by Lola. Yeah, that's the idea. That's genius. And you got a cute little card. Is it a colorful little thing? It's, it's purple, of course, because that's our brand. Beautiful. So it's probably the only purple card in your wallet. I like how you're a technical guy who thinks about brand a lot. I think that it's, uh, it's definitely slept on and business building by people who are focused on the tech side, but I love how you have the, uh, the, the focus on that as well. And yeah, now you're, now you're launching another company. Uh, I believe yeah, it's called so, Moonbeam Pod, podcast players. Tell me a bit about it. Yeah. So Moonbeam, it's a side project. So I'm still very much full-time at Lola. I'm obsessed with podcasts. I like, I listen to podcasts. I used to read an hour a day. And now I listen to podcasts. It's kind of bad. I guess I, for some reason I read when I travel, but when I'm at home, I just listen to podcasts and I try to learn that way. Awesome. But it was hard for me to discover new content. Number one, there was two problems with podcasts for me. One, 
how do I discover new content? I wanted to come up with something creative so people would find uh, your podcast or other interesting podcasts they may not have heard about before. Might not be in the front page of the Apple podcast player, but how can you find out about it? And then the second thing is occasionally I listen to podcasts and I become obsessed with it. And I want to know a lot more about the hosts. Like I want to see videos of the hosts and I want to join their email list. I want to tip them. I want to send them cash. If I'm listening to a podcast and they tell a really amusing story, I want to click one button and send them 10 bucks or buck or five bucks or something. And maybe it goes Love to the profit. Maybe it goes to them. I don't know, but I want to be able to interact with the hosts. Like one of the features we haven't really okay. talked about discovery. One of the features I really want them to try is called beam. And the way beam works is let's say you want to listen to comedy, but you don't know what to listen to. So you go to the beam tab and you, first of all, you tell us, do you want to listen to something like popular comedy or something kind of obscure? Like what mood are you in? And sometimes if you're in like a real discovery mood, you want to listen to stuff that's really eclectic and kind of out there. So you'll say comedy obscure. And then we say, how long do you want to listen? Like 10 minutes, an hour, whatever. So you just say comedy obscure 10 minutes, bam, starts playing something. You don't like it, you hit next, 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 next. You and I were talking about Shaq a few minutes ago. And the way we both discovered that video about the Mercedes that he bought was on TikTok. TikTok is my favorite machine learning app that I use right now. I mean, so to fun. me, the best machine learning apps right now is I'd list TikTok number one. We aspire really to is. be sort of TikTok for podcasting. We want to be that fast in finding stuff. We don't want to make you read. You didn't pick up a podcast play to read. If you want to read, you pick up a Kindle. You pick up a podcast player because you want to listen to cool content. You want to hear cool audio. So we want to get you there as fast as we can. It's so awesome. what I would ask your listeners is check out Beam, send us feedback. And then also, as they're listening to your show, they should tip your show to try it and give me feedback. How does tipping work? Ladies and gentlemen, you heard the man go and toss our future a tip on the Moonbeam podcast player. Just kidding. But I am really passionate about tools that help smaller podcasters like myself get discovered and to be able to support themselves. And I think Moonbeam's a sick idea, especially because it provides that content curation for your ears. I have used it myself. It's been super fun to throw on the Beam feature while just cleaning my room or diving into some tasks. I've, I've discovered so many great podcasts I never even knew existed. You can download Moonbeam at the link in the description of this podcast, or you can go to the App Store by typing in Moonbeam Podcast Player to, to get a TikTok-like pod experience for your ears. Pretty crazy. Today was a great episode, guys. Hope you enjoyed it. Be with you again later this week. I'm signing off and just reminding you to stay frosty futurists. Peace.